Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. It is a time when we remember what God has done for us. If you have your Bibles, we're in the book of Ezra. We're plowing through the Old Testament. And the good news is you do not have as many chapters to read this week. Can I get an amen? Amen. (laughs) What's interesting, when you get to Ezra and Nehemiah, you're coming to the end of the historical record in the Old Testament. Now, I know there's a lot of other books, but they all fit in the time period between Genesis and Nehemiah. And so we'll be looking at what some of the prophets said and the, and the Psalms and Proverbs and so forth. But as we come to the book of Ezra, I want to give you a little background. Turn to chapter 7, and I, I don't want to bore you with a lot of dates. We're talking B.C. now. That's before most of you were born. A couple of you still might remember this. But B.C., 587, the southern kingdom. You remember when you read in the Chronicles and Kings, the, the kingdom divided after Solomon died because Rehoboam, his son, was not a good king. And, and so the 10 northern tribes formed Israel. The two southern tribes formed Judah. Israel was captured or, or annihilated by the Assyrians in 722 B.C. The southern kingdom of Judah, which was Benjamin and Judah, those tribes, It lasted until 587, and then the Babylonians took them. Now, actually, the Babylonians came in doing some raids about 600 B.C., 606, and they captured some people and took them back to Babylon. And we think Daniel was some of those people that were captured. But it wasn't until 587 that the Babylonians came in and annihilated Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple. They flattened it carried people captive, and for 70 years, people in uh, Israel were captured or in captivity in, the, in, Babylon, in the Babylonia. Now, Babylonians were captured by the Persians in 538, excuse me, 539, and Cyrus became the king, and he's the king of the Persians, and he gives permission for the Jews to go back to their homeland, a 1,000 miles. And so about 50,000 of them, under the leadership of Zerubbabel, now wouldn't you like to have a name like that? (laughs) Zerubbabel. They go back to Israel, and they begin to try to rebuild the temple. And the first thing they build is the altar, and they begin to offer sacrifices on the altar. And they begin to rebuild the temple, but the work stops because of various reasons. And for 15 years, nothing happens. And then under the preaching of Haggai and Zechariah, they begin to rebuild the temple again, and they finish it. But after that temple is completed and dedicated, there's another time of about 60 years that it's a time of trouble because of the Persians. Now, that 60-year period is in that white space between chapter 6 and 7 in your Bible. 
Because verse 1 says, now after these things. But in that white space is a 60-year period. And guess who is the queen during that period? Esther. We'll get to her later. Not today, but later. But I want you to know where that fits in there. And so after that 60 or 57 or 58-year period, Ezra comes on the scene. And Ezra and Nehemiah are the ones that go back. And Ezra is bringing a, helping restore them spiritually speaking. Zerubbabel's already helped restore them nationally by helping rebuild part of Jerusalem and the temple. But there's, there's a spiritual decay because all of those people that came back with Zerubbabel, it's been 70, 80 years. A lot of them have died, and this new generation doesn't know anything, and they've mixed with all of the pagan people. So you don't have a group of people that are serving God. So Ezra wants to go back and, and bring some spiritual restoration, bring them back to God. And, of course, Nehemiah comes back during some of that time and helps rebuild the wall around Jerusalem for protection. So you can basically break down Ezra into two parts. The first six chapters are the national restoration under Zerubbabel. And then you've got that period about 60 years between six and seven, chapter six and seven. And from seven all the way to the end of Ezra is about spiritual restoration. Now I'm going to read the first 10 verses. I'm going to do my best to pronounce these names. If I am incorrect, you will not know because you don't know how to say them either. <laughs> but I'm going to give you the West Texas pronunciation of these names, and I'm reading them for a reason, and you'll see why in a moment. I, I could just skip over them and say there's a bunch of hard names there, but I want you to see why he did this. There's a reason for it. Now, after these things, this is verse one. Now, after these things, 60 years in there, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra the son of Sariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shalom, the son of Zadok, the son of Ahitub, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Meraioth, and the son of Zerahiah, the son of Uzai, the son of Bukai, the son of Ab Abishua, the son of Phineas the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, the chief priest. This Ezra came up from Babylon, and he was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. The king granted him all his requests according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. Some of the children of Israel, the priests, the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the Nethanim came up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. On the first day of the first month, he began his journey from Babylon. It's a thousand miles back to Jerusalem. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem according to the good hand of his God upon him. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. 
Now, in verse 11, all the way down to verse 26, is a copy of the letter from King Artaxerxes granting him all of the privileges and supplies, and it's written in Aramaic. Now, go to verse 27. Blessed be the Lord God of our fathers who has put such a thing in this king's heart to beautify the house of the Lord which is in Jerusalem and has extended mercy to me before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty princes. So I was encouraged as the hand of the Lord my God was upon me and I gathered leading men of Israel to go up with me. Now keep your Bibles open. I'm going to refer to back a bunch of verses here in a moment, but I'd like to begin by having prayer. Would you join me as we pray? Lord, we ask you today to put your hand of blessing on your people. For those who don't know Jesus, we know the greatest blessing is coming to him. For those who do know Jesus as their Savior, Lord, help us to see that we cannot live the abundant life here on the earth without your hand of blessing. And so we ask that you bring people to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Everything that we do for the Lord's work depends on his blessing. We can only do so much. And if we don't have God's blessing, then we really can't do anything for him. My question is, do you want God's blessing on your life and on your family and on your service for the Lord? I doubt seriously anyone would say, no, I I don't want God's blessing. I'm going to do my own thing and I can create my own blessing. None of you are going to stand up and say that. However, there are a lot of people that live that way. They don't really live like they want the blessings of God. There are a number of people in the Bible who God blessed. Many of them are mentioned, Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, David. They're prominent examples. But Ezra, you probably don't know much about Ezra because he's sort of lost in the shuffle, but he's one of the men that God had his hand on. Now, he shows up in chapter 7, and I've already told you that of, of some of the history that was going on. And you have Ezra and Nehemiah now that have asked Artaxerxes to go back to Jerusalem Ezra's going before Nehemiah. Nehemiah shows up later, but they're all kind of, they overlap in there. But I want you to think for a moment. Ezra and Nehemiah were born in Babylon. And yet, they had good, uh, they had a good relationship with the king. And so that meant they had some privileges. They had some of the nicer things in life. They had some of the privileges that the normal people wouldn't have. And yet both of them were burdened because of the low spiritual condition of the nation of Israel. Even though they had not lived there, that was their home. And so they left all of this luxury and all of this fine things that they had and they went back to be used of God to reform his people. They had to have God's hand of blessing on them. And that's what I want to talk to you a moment about, is God's hand of blessing. Because I still think it's available. Now, it's not going to be available by the way some of the TV evangelists could tell you, because that's not the kind of blessing we're talking about. 
because that's not a real genuine blessing. And I'll tell you why in a moment. So let's begin by noticing several things. First, I've already mentioned it, the presence of God's blessing. Now quickly, I'm gonna call out these, these uh, verses to you. Chapter seven, verse six says that the hand of the Lord uh, was on Ezra, was, was the, the hand of the Lord God, his God upon him. In verse nine, you've got the good hand of God upon him. In verse 28, you've got that same phrase. I was encouraged as the hand of the Lord my God was upon me. Now go to chapter eight, verse 18, the same phrase, by the good hand of our God upon us. And then in verse 22, for I, I was ashamed to request the king. And then down in the verse 22, it says, the hand of our God is upon all those for good who seek him. And then verse 31, the same phrase, he delivered us from the hand of the enemy. Well, I actually skipped it. And the hand of our God was upon us and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy. God's hand is another way of saying God's blessing on you and me. And so I want us to focus for a moment on God's blessing, on God's hands, the very presence of God's blessing. First of all, it is a genuine blessing. Now, what I mean by that is that God's blessing is the only blessing that lasts for now and for eternity, for the time now here on this earth and for the future. Because there's a lot of blessings that the world so-called can offer you it's going to be money and power and fame and all kinds of things that the world says you will be blessed if you have, but it'll leave you empty and disappointed in life. In this world, you can have God's blessing on you and you still may have a hard time. You still may have difficult circumstances. You can still get sick. You can still get covid but you still have God's hand upon you and his blessing is going to last beyond your troubles and trials in this life and take you into eternity. Mark eight thirty six says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? And so God's blessing is the only genuine blessing that counts for both time and Eternity. If you gain and die with the world's blessings, but you lack God's blessing, you die poor indeed. You go into eternity without him. But if you live and die with God's blessing, even though you may have lacked a lot of what the world calls a blessing, you are truly blessed. There's an old hymn. You don't know it by memory because we never sang it very much. It's called, Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken. And the fourth verse says this, John Newton wrote this, fading is the world's best pleasure, all its boasted pomp and show is fading. Solid joys and lasting treasure, none but Zion's children know. Only God's children know the blessings that come from eternal life and in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It's the only genuine blessing is from God. Now, another part of this blessing I call generational blessing. Why did I read all of those hard names? For a reason. Because Ezra traces back his priestly heritage all the way to Aaron. Aaron, Moses' son. Now, there are some gaps in there. 
He didn't list everybody, but he, he's letting people know that he is qualified to be in the position that he's in, in the godly, priestly position that he's in. He mentions Sarera, uh, um, I can't say his name now. I just said it. Well, just give me a minute. Let my tongue catch up with my brain. Sarai. I can't say it. He was the high priest during the time of Nebuchadnezzar and Nebuchadnezzar had him executed 130 years prior. You can read it in 2 Kings 25. Ezra was either a great grandson or a great, great grandson of Sariah. There's his name. I got it out finally. The genealogy is important here. Now, what do we learn from this? Many of you have been blessed to come from a godly family. You had a mom and a dad that loved Jesus, and I want to tell you, if you're a young person and you have a mom and dad, or if you're an old person and you had a mom and dad love Jesus, you are doubly blessed because it's becoming more and more rare. But I want you to know that a heritage is something that you thank God for. I thank God for your blessings from my parents and from my grandparents and from my generation before me. And some of you are going, well, wait a minute. I came from a godless family. My parents didn't even know God. My grandparents didn't care about God. So what hope is there for me to experience God's blessing? Well, there's great hope. Because you can be the start of a long heritage that can be passed on to your descendants. Unfortunately, you didn't get to pick your ancestors. And you didn't have anything to do with your ancestors. But you have everything to do with your descendants and the people coming after you. And so, if you came from a godless background, this can be a change of, of of heritage for your family by you serving God, you can pass that on. Now, there's another lesson here. Those of you who have and had godly parents and godly grandparents, did you know there's a warning here because it doesn't automatically mean that you're going to be blessed by God because you have a choice to make. Aaron he traced it all the way back to Aaron, the high priest. Aaron had two sons that were consecrated as priests, and they disobeyed God, and God struck them dead with fire. You can read about it in Leviticus chapter 10. But Aaron, but Aaron had a grandson. His name was Phineas. He's mentioned in verse 6 here in this chapter. Or verse 5, excuse me. Aaron, I mean, Phineas took bold action for God, and you can read about all of this, um, where he, it's in Numbers 25, he actually stopped a plague upon Israel. And as a result of Phineas' bold action and obedience to the Lord, the Lord told him, he told Moses that he was going to give Phineas his covenant of peace and in Numbers 25, 13, he says, and it shall be for him and his descendants after him a covenant of a perpetual priesthood because he was zealous for his God. His bold action resulted in blessing his descendants for hundreds of years, even all the way down to Ezra. 
Now, I know that every generation has a choice to make. And just because you have parents that love God doesn't mean that you're automatically going to love God. You still make the choices that you make. And, and you're responsible for the choices that you make. But the lesson for us that have godly parents, you can either disobey them or you can and deprive your descendants of God's blessings or you can obey the Lord and continue the blessings on down to your descendants. Does all that make sense? You see, when you sin, you never sin in isolation. You think you do, but you don't. Now, let me give you a couple of illustrations here. During World War II, there were a lot of people that made names for themselves and were heroes. One of those people was Butch O'Hare. He was a fighter pilot. He was assigned to an aircraft carrier in the Pacific. One time, his squadron was going to fly an assignment on a particular mission, and as they were airborne, Butch O'Hare looked down and realized that they had forgotten to fuel his plane. They didn't top off the fuel tank, and because of this, he would not have enough fuel to complete his mission and make it back to the carrier. And so his flight leader told him to leave the formation and return to the ship. And as he was returning to the mother ship, he saw a squadron of Japanese planes that were heading in the direction of the fleet. And he realized that with all the fighter planes gone, the fleet was now easy prey for the planes. And so single-handedly, he dove into the formation of the Japanese planes and attacked them. He fired ammunition until he ran out of ammunition and then he began to dive bomb those planes and trying to hit tails and wings and all, trying to disable those planes. American planes had a camera in them. And they used those cameras to take pictures of the landscape, trying to learn about different parts of the continents. And so he, while he was doing all this, pictures were being taken. And as a result of his keeping on, the Japanese group began to fly another direction. And his plane was badly shot up, but he limped all the way back, or the plane did, to the carrier. Well, he began to tell them the story, but it wasn't until they developed the film and the camera where they realized all that he had done. And as a result, he was recognized as a hero, given the highest military honors, and the airport in Chicago is named after him, O'Hare. It's after Butch O'Hare. Now, Prior to this, there was a lawyer in Chicago, a notorious lawyer named Easy Eddie. <laughs> he was the lawyer for Al Capone. Al Capone was notorious for the murders he'd committed, all the illegal things he had done. Easy Eddie was good at keeping Al Capone out of jail. And as a result, Al Capone rewarded him greatly. He had a, an estate, Easy, Easy Eddie did, that covered an entire block in the city of Chicago. He had live-in help. He had all the conveniences of the day. Easy Eddie had a son, and he loved his son, gave him all the best things he could while growing up, clothes and cars and a good education. And because he loved his son, he tried to teach his son right from wrong. But there were two things that Easy Eddie couldn't give his son. That was a good name and a good example. 
So Easy Eddie decided that his son was much more important than all the riches that he had been given. So he went to the authorities to rectify all the wrongs that he had done. And he realized he was going to have to testify against Al Capone. And he also knew that Al Capone would do his best to kill him. But he wanted most of all to try to be a good example and do whatever he could to give his son a good name. So he testified. And within a year, he was shot and killed on a lonely street in Chicago. Now you think, well, how are these stories related? Butch O'Hare was Eddie's son. And as a result, Easy Eddie changed the direction of his son's life. That's what I'm trying to tell you, that the choices you make for the Lord can determine the choices that your children and your grandchildren are going to go. They still have choices to make. But even if you have a godly heritage given to you, you still have to choose to follow the Lord. You don't just say, well, because my parents. Now, another thing about this blessing, I call it a greater blessing. And what I mean by that is that we have the ability to do so much But unless God does something beyond what we can do, it's not going to be helpful. Because Ezra had the ability and wanted to, but he didn't have all the means to do it. You remember when Jesus fed the 5,000? Right before they did, Jesus asked Philip. He said, where are we going to buy bread so these people can eat? And, 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 and John says in John 6, 5, he was saying this to Philip to test him for he knew what he was going to do. Of course, Jesus knew what he was going to do. Well, Philip did some quick calculations. And basically he said, if we had 200 days wages, we wouldn't be able to buy enough bread for these people to get any more than just a little bite. Well, of course, Jesus took what they had, the little boy with the loaves and the fish. And John says they ate all they wanted. And they had 12 baskets left over. Well, God's hand was on Ezra because you read that in verse 6, it says that the king, Artaxerxes, granted him everything he wanted. Only God could do that. Artaxerxes was not a, a God follower. He was letting the Jews go back, but, but God used him in ways that Ezra could not have done it. The king's grant, the letter stated in verses 11 through 26, and you'll read in verse 27 where he says, thus I was, or verse 28, I was strengthened according to the hand of the Lord my God upon me. God's blessing goes far beyond what you and I can do. Now folks, I want to be clear about what I'm saying. The leadership we have in this nation whoever it is. Not many of them are God-fearing. Some are. But even the ones that aren't, God can still do what he wants to do in this nation. And we just need to pray that God's will will be done. Now, I'm not saying that those are godly people. I had a man after me. He said, you telling me the new president's godly? I said, that's not what I said. So I got to be clear. Eight o'clock, I practice on them and get it right on you. The the, the fact is, I want you to see the providence of God. God can do whatever he wants to do. And he, he took a, an ungodly king, or not ungodly, but a pagan king, Artaxerxes, and gave Ezra everything he needed to go back and did the same with Nehemiah. You're going to see that when you read Nehemiah. 
So the greater blessing from God is that he does exceedingly abundantly more than we ever ask or think. I want God's hand on our church for us to be able to do some things we never dreamed possible. Can you believe that this church from Lubbock, Texas can reach people around the world through the international TV and through the, the missions and all that? Not one of us could have ever orchestrated that. It's a greater blessing from God. So God's blessings are greater than our ability, our own ability. Now, how do you get this blessing? Well, you see it in verse 10. Here's the path to God's hand of blessings. One of the greatest verses in Ezra. In fact, you ought to underline it. Notice what it says in verse 10. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. Here's the path. The first thing is you prepare your heart. Ezra had prepared his heart. We read in Daniel, Daniel purposed in his heart. In the Bible, heart is used in the scripture as the most comprehensive term for the real you. If your heart is not in it, it's not you. It's sometimes used as the place of conscious and decisive spiritual activity. It's the places we desire. We're deliberate. We're decisive. All in the heart. That's what the word is used for. And the reason that we see little lasting fruit from some decisions for Christ is because their heart was never in it. You can pray a prayer but not give your heart to God. If you, you don't give your life to God. When we say you ask Jesus into your heart, we're not talking about this muscle that's beating in there. We're talking about into your life. You're committing your life to him. Even Jesus said in Matthew 15, 8, the people draw near to me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You read about Solomon's son, Rehoboam, when Solomon died and the kingdom divides, it's because of of Rehoboam and the scripture says in 2 Chronicles 12 14 and Rehoboam did evil because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord on the other hand you can read about Jehoshaphat and Hezekiah in 2 Chronicles and it said that they did prepare their hearts we're told by Paul in Colossians 1 if you were raised with Christ and you are seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God set your affection on things above set your heart on things above and not on things of the earth now I'm going to tell you a silly story but you'll get the point this is fake in case some of you are just waking up this is not news this is fake news The Pope needed a heart transplant. Everybody was distressed in the Catholic realm. He didn't know what to do. He came out on the, in the St. Peter's Square and the people are filled there. And, they, and they, know, they know that the Pope needs a new heart. And people are chanting, I'll give you my heart. Take my heart. Take my heart. Take my heart. Pope didn't know what to do. How do you make that choice? So he decided to drop a feather. And wherever the feather landed, whoever it landed on, they would give their heart to the Pope. So he dropped a feather. The people are still chanting, take my heart, take my heart. (laughs) Take my heart, take my heart. (laughs) You get the point? 
A lot of people say, take my life, but they don't really mean that. They just go through the motions of it. Prepare your hearts, the first path to the hand of God on your life. The second is to ponder the scripture. It says in verse 10 that he prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. The word seek literally means to beat a path to. He read it repeatedly. In verse 6, it says that Ezra was skilled in the word of God. And that means he was swift. He was ready, implying that he was quick to understand and to apply it to various parts of life. He set his heart to study the law of the Lord. Do you read your Bible? One of the goals of us going through the Bible together is for you to read the Bible. You can't know what God wants you to do unless you read it and ponder it and think about it and apply it. The third part of this path is to practice the word. Did you notice he he put in there, it's written about him, he prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it. To practice it. Now, when you look in verses 6 and 10 and 11 and 12 and 14 and 21 and 25 and 26, there's a definite connection between Ezra and God's word. It's all in there. You can read it, you, you will read it this week. There's a definite correlation between our commitment to God and to know and obey his word and his blessings upon us. If you think for a moment that God's hand of blessing is going to be on you when you know in your heart you're definitely doing what God says not to do, you're not going to have God's hand of blessing on you. God's not going to honor that. It's nonsense to say you want God's blessing when you're living in disobedience to him. And the goal of Bible study, and we have a lot of Bible study, is not to fill your head with knowledge. That's part of it. It's to change our hearts and lives and be conformed to the image of God's Son. That's, the Bible changes our life. It's our manual for life. It gives you instructions on rearing children, obeying your parents, loving your wife, submitting to your husband, forgiving, putting away anger, tithing, dressing modestly, gender distinction, church attendance, and other topics. There are things you're not going to say because you're practicing what the scripture says. There are people you will not hate and will forgive because you're practicing what the Bible says. There are attitudes you won't allow to fester in your mind because you read this book. Reading this book changes the way you do business. It changes the way you relate to your family. It changes the way that you spend your money. It contains specific commands and then it, cha- it contains enough principles and direction for those areas that it does not specifically say or address. It's the manual for life. Your life should be different because you follow what the word of God says to do. And then it mentions proclaiming the truth. Ezra studied God's word. He became competent in what it said and he shared it with others. You can share the word of God. Did you know it's human nature to share? And you do it all the time. 
tell me you don't. You're about to go in an amusement park. You're out there taking a selfie. And you want everybody to know you're about to have a good time. So you post it. You got this big slice of pizza that you know everybody's going to be jealous you're about to eat. So you take a picture of it and you put it on social media. Look what I'm about to eat. Nanny, nanny, nanny. No, you didn't put that part in there, but you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's human nature to share. Why don't we share good news? If there was ever a time people needed some good news, it's now. If there was ever a time when people needed hope and needed direction and needed purpose and needed something stable in their life, it's now. And only God can do that for you. You see, the path to the hand of God's blessing is you prepare your heart, you read his word, you practice his word, and you share it, and God will have his hand on you. So you see the presence of God's blessing and the path to it, but I can't close without showing you the praise for God's blessing. This is the time we're having thanksgiving and we say, well, count your blessings. Well, I understand what that means and there's nothing wrong with that. But when God has his hand on you, you can't help but praise him. Because you see in verse 27, the very first thing he says after he reads this letter of all the provision that the king has given him, he says, blessed be the Lord God of our fathers who has put such a thing in the king's heart to beautify the house of the Lord which is in Jerusalem and has extended mercy to me before the king and his counselors. So I was encouraged as the hand of the Lord my God was upon me and I gathered leading men of Israel to go up with me. Can you imagine if Ezra had been interviewed by a talk show host on television? Ezra, what is the key to your success? Was it your ability, your education? Was it your talent? He'd say, no, no, none of that. The hand of the Lord was upon me. It's all God's doing. He gets the credit for it. He gets the glory for it. And folks, quickly write these down. I didn't put them down for you. But when you think of the hand of God's blessing, it speaks of his power. Do you realize how powerful God is? You know, we say God can do anything. Listen to what Isaiah verse 40, chapter 40, verse 12 said. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? The oceans. Who's measured the heaven with a span and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure? He even knows how much dust there is out here in West Texas. Who has weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance? He's talking about the power of God. It also speaks of his protection. In chapter 8, you're going to see that Ezra said, I didn't really want to ask the king for an army to protect us on that thousand-mile trip to Babylon because I'd already mentioned that the hand of the Lord was upon us. I want to tell you that when you've committed your life to Christ... Jesus said, I give them eternal life and they never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. You are protected by God. It speaks of his provision. I don't have to read all that the king gave him because he gave it to him 
And it speaks of God's going to provide for you and me. We can give you testimony after testimony of the way the Lord provides through this church for all the ministries and stuff. It's incredible to me how God provides. And it also speaks of his purpose. When God has his hand on you, it speaks of a direction. He gave Ezra and Nehemiah a purpose. When God puts his hand on you, he gives you a purpose to serve him and to follow him to accomplish what his will is for your life. So my question is, are you seeking God's hand of blessing? Now, you notice it didn't have anything to do with sowing a seed of faith. And so many times we associate blessings with money. Money's not a blessing. Most of the time it's just a, something you gotta deal with. I'm talking about the kind of blessing that says no matter what I'm walking through, God has his hand on me. I have his protection, I have his power, I have his provision, I've got a purpose in my life, I know he loves me. And the only way you can have this is by placing your faith through Jesus Christ to God. God wants you, God loves you. Some of you can't have God's blessing because you've never been saved. You've never experienced knowing Jesus. But today, if you will ask God to forgive you and you will ask Jesus to come into your life and commit your life to him. Lord, here's my life. I give it to you. I want you to live in me. I want your hand of blessing on me the rest of my life. If you do that, he will save you today. And for those of us who are his children, if you're in an area of life where you're being disobedient, 1 John 1, 9 says, if you confess, with your, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Get back in fellowship with him. That happened this morning. Some people came up to me and said, I need to rededicate my life to the Lord. Well, I know what that meant. I want to get back in fellowship with God. I said, Are you, you know, do you know you're saved? Oh yeah, I know I'm a Christian. I said, well then, all you have to do is just ask the Lord to forgive you and, and place your heart back, put him back on the throne of your heart, your life. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray for those today that need Jesus. I, I pray that you would show them how much you love them and how you will save them even right now. And Lord, I pray that they would place their faith and trust in you and give your, their life to you. I lift up the, 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 the Christians here, your children, and ask you, Lord, to, to show us if there's anything keeping your hand of blessing off of our life. I pray for those that need a church, if this is the place you want them to come. I pray you'd bring them. For those who need to testify publicly of their faith in Jesus by being baptized, I pray they would come. And Lord, please lead your people and lead those without you to come to you now. If you're watching online, if you hit that connect button or I need prayer button, there are people that will help you 
before you disconnect, they'll help you know about knowing Jesus or they'll pray with you, chat with you, pray with you. If you're in this room, you can take one of those cards and you can indicate on my decision today and if you place it in that box as you leave, we'll call you on the telephone. We'll be glad to visit with you about knowing Christ or joining or whatever it is that you want to do. There's going to be some people up here at the front after we're dismissed. We'll have our mask on. We'll be glad to pray with you about anything on your heart or talk to you about a commitment to Christ or maybe you want to join, whatever. We'll be glad to visit with you. And so, Lord, right now we pray that people are making commitments to you and most of all that they would prepare their heart to seek you We need you, God. We need your hand of blessing on our life, on our church, on our nation. We pray that people would prepare their hearts even now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.